Amen. Thank you so much, Maggie and Kiara, for leading us. Uh, man, what a perfect song to sing. Uh, not only when there's snow outside and the visible uh, representation um, of that today is a good day, no matter what happens, because my sins are clean, that I've been washed, that I'm new, and that I belong to the Lord, and we belong to one another. Amen. And uh, also for this week is a half week. Uh, so just three days this week before we enter on to spring break. <laughs> You're almost there. You're almost there. Uh, but not a, a better week, I think, to launch us into spring break for uh, entering into the, the Lenten season. And is uh, an annual rhythm of the church calendar, similar to Advent, preparing us for Easter, Lent preparing us for uh, uh, or sorry, Advent preparing us for Christmas as Lent is preparing us for Easter. And as we really seek to let go of the things of this world in an intentional way in order to more fully embrace all that Jesus has for us and has done for us. And so uh, really grateful and excited this week. Um, as we uh, Monday today, we have Drew Shep, who I'll introduce in just a few moments. Tomorrow, we have Joey King, one of our very own students, who will be sharing uh, from his own uh, life and testimony. And then Wednesday, we'll be having a National Wednesday service, uh, which may be different for many of us, depending on what church background, but we'll share uh, that and how we can enter into that together in a unified way and really launch us into spring break together. So uh, for today, Drew Shep, a uh, little bit of context and history. So he was actually at Northwestern for, for about eight years, 2007 to 2015, and uh, occupied the role that I now serve in. And so as we like to say that um, there's a rich history here at Northwestern, especially in chapel. We all stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us, you as students, and also us as faculty and staff. And uh, I stand a little taller uh, because Drew's just shy of like eight feet. Um, so he's a, he's a tall, tall brother in Christ um, and served here faithfully, uh, is now serving as the campus pastor over sub, at Substance Church and is on the teaching team. Uh, oversees uh, leadership development and uh, the internship program there and has such a strong heart uh, for you and loves this place and loves you guys. And I really think you're going to be uh, greatly blessed by what the Lord's put on his heart to share. So would you please give a warm Northwestern welcome. So welcome back, uh, Pastor Drew Shep. And uh, let's pray. Let's pray over him and over ourselves as he shares with us. Father, we are so grateful that we can stand before you clean called your beloved sons and daughters, bought by the very precious blood of Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would refresh our hearts and minds with our identity as your blood-bought beloved sons and daughters. Thank you that we belong to you and belong to one another, and thank you for bringing our brother Drew here. Thank you for his time and his history, his investment here in this institution and the students here. And I pray that you would fill him with your spirit, that as he shares from your word and from his life, that our hearts would be open to receive all that you have for us, and that we would be further equipped to let go of anything that is hindering us, any sin or weight that clings so closely, and that we'd be able to fully embrace and run um, with endurance and great joy the race that is set before us, taking up our cross daily and following after you. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. You guys doing good? Northwestern, doing all right? So weak. So weak. Hey, I get it, though. Hey. I would actually say thanks for being here, but I know that half of you are just trying to fulfill your chapel requirements for the quad is over there. And you're like, how do I attend five of the next three chapels to get this in right now? Uh, glad you're here anyway. I don't actually care. I'm just glad you're here. Uh, uh, really quickly, the Bible is so clear. The Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. And I just really quickly want to honor Justin. Having sat in the role that he sits in for just about seven years, 
Um, I just want to know, I, I love this guy. Um, you guys are led really, really well, I believe, in this chapel space over these last several years. Um, I can tell you, having sat in that role, it's an incredibly difficult, complex, weird, at times awkward role. Um, I've sat with Justin over a few cups of coffee over the past couple years, just heard his heart um, for his family. He loves his family. He loves you guys. He loves the Lord, his God with all his heart, soul, and mind. So I um, just want to thank you for creating, for carrying on the legacy of chapel here at Northwestern, for creating. Yeah, let's, let's thank God for, for Justin. Just for uh, carrying on a legacy of not creating a space of entertainment, but creating a space of transformation in this place. Um, how, many, how many have heard things this semester that you haven't liked in chapel? That's actually a good thing, okay? I want you to know that. It's a, it's a good thing to hear viewpoints that you don't agree with, that you don't like. That's part of the growth process, and I thank you, Justin, for being bold enough and willing to enter into some of those spaces. I also want to honor Nina and President Kirsten. I just believe um, I get the chance to travel to a lot of different places in the U.S. and churches and leaders and interact with a lot of pastors. And I just believe that you guys are led by some of the finest humans, some of the finest leaders around. So I just want to uh, honor your leadership. I give a hand for it. Thank God for your leadership. Um, and I, I could take the next 22 minutes and say how grateful and honored I am to be back in this space. I spent uh, many, many days and hours on the stage. I've logged more chapels than you can possibly imagine. Um, so I get it. Like, I know I get it. But I do want to start by telling you a little bit about me and my family. I want to get to know you a little bit. Um, here, I want to make you a deal today. I am not here to change your life in one chapel as if that was possible, right? You guys go to a lot of chapel over the course of the year. You have a lot of amazing speakers. I'm not here to change your life in one chapel. I'm not here to blow your minds. Hopefully, I'm here to encourage you, to inspire you, and to give you some biblical truth as you seek to navigate this life with God as he leads you to live it. So a little bit about my family. I'm going to show you a picture of my little tribe here. I have four kids. Um, sometimes it seems like I have 14 kids. They're amazing. It's my wife, Erica. I've been married for just shy of 12 years now, which is a miracle in and of itself. That's a miracle, you guys. I'm telling you. Um, my oldest right there in the middle, that's Judah. He's 10 years old. Kid loves football, loves baseball, loves all things sports. He thinks he's the coolest kid around, which is a problem, I'll be honest. Um, my little guy there with a huge smile, that's my 8-year-old Eden. Uh, just that smile is exactly who he is, except for when he's not. He's either that smile or sobbing, ugly crying. There's no in-between for that kid, okay? He's up or he's down. There is no in-between. That's Eleanor right there with the pink dress on. Uh, my first daughter, she is 6 years old. She is terrifyingly beautiful. I have no idea what I'm gonna do with her when she gets to be your age. Pray for me, pray for me. That's my little girl there, then two years old. She, her name is Athalia. We call her Athalia, it means to God be the glory. She is a full-fledged destroyer. <laughs> Literally, you turn your back for one second, every drawer in the kitchen is empty on the floor, places on fire, it's amazing. She eats an entire pack of gum before you can even blink. I'm not even mad, it's amazing, okay? Like, so that's my family. But really, I wanna, I wanna kinda tell you a quick story about my wife and I, really to kind of set the tone for where I want to go today. It's going to be a short time together, but uh, how many of you know it's cold out there? Like it's not good cold out there, right? Like sometimes it's like, oh, it's fun, it's chilly, curled by the fire. That's bad, okay? That is not good, okay? It's snowy, snowiest February on record. Why do we live here? Like why do we live in a place where the air hurts our face? Like, that's it's not okay, right? Like why are, why are we here? But so every single February, March, uh, my wife and I, we take a vacation together, okay? It's kind of one of the rhythms in our marriage just to survive, I'll be honest, right? Like, I, I love my kids. Sometimes I want to love them from a distance, if I can be honest with you, from like Florida while they're still here, you know what I'm saying? So um, every February, March, we take a vacation. 
Last year, um, in February, about this time actually, we decided we're gonna go to Panama City Beach, Florida, get a VRBO on the beach, spend about four days. I'm, I'm not talking fish tacos. I'm talking falling asleep to the sound of waves. That is a spiritual experience right there. Can I get an amen from somebody on that one? So, so good. So we book a trip, right? Leading up to it, I'm nervous, okay? Our flight leaves at like 7 a.m., right? The night before, because of course it did, Minnesota dumps about 12 inches of fresh powder on us, okay? Now, I am getting on my vacation. I am not missing this flight. So I schedule an Uber for about 5 a.m. The day, the day we leave, okay? I'm, I'm not taking any chances. So 5 a.m., we were up, we're ready to go. We're actually going on vacation with a couple of friends of ours, right? So Ron, the Uber driver, shows up 5 a.m., on time, awesome, except Ron is driving the smallest car I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's basically an Ikea shopping cart. Have you seen those things? Like, it's maddeningly, it's like way too small to fit anything you actually need from Ikea in the cart. It's stupid. I think Ikea is playing a big joke on us, actually. They're laughing at us from all the way from Sweden, right? Like, so it's this tiny, tiny car. There's four of us. I'm a big dude, all right? So we get in this car. Keep in mind, 12 inches, fresh powder, unplowed, in our neighborhood. Get in the car. Ron steps in the gas, and we go nowhere. We are stuck. I'm like, not today. <laughs> get behind me, Satan, right? I'm getting on my vacation. So I, I get out of that car and I push. And I'm pushing my buddy Dan, he gets out, we push. And all of a sudden I see my wife stick her head out the window. I'm like, oh, she's gonna encourage me. Good job, honey. You're so strong. Keep on going. Nope. She laughs like a mad woman and takes my picture. I got it, I got it right here. I'll put the picture up, guys. It's right here. That is me trying to get to my vacation, right? If it looks blurry, that's because it's 5 a.m. in a snowstorm, right? I'm not exactly dressed for winter. I'm going on, I'm getting on a plane to Florida. I'm wearing sweatpants, joggers, low top shoes, a sweatshirt. It is cold, so I push the car. Finally, we get moving. I'm like, all right, we're good. We got this. Get to the airport. Delay. Nine hours. Nine hours. Nine hours, <laughs> right? So the, what happened was the plane slid off the runway somewhere in Green Bay. I'm like, I blame Aaron Rodgers, personally. <laughs> Can I get an amen from somebody on? You know what I'm saying? Uh, if you're a Packers fan, we'll have prayer for you at the front after service today, okay? You'll be fine. But, okay, so, so nine hour delay, okay? So the lady's like, you should just go home and try again tomorrow. I'm like, you don't understand. I can't go back there. <laughs> I'm going on my vacation and I am going today, okay? So I'm scrambling from airline to airline, trying to piece together some sort of itinerary that will get me there. Because if we're delayed nine hours, I miss my connection, right? So I'm like, this flight and this flight and this rental car in here. At one point, the lady was like, well, I can get you to Panama City, Panama today. I'm like, I don't think you know how this works. What is that, what, what, what does that even mean, right? So I finally pieced together an itinerary. All right, we get on the plane. So we're flying from Minneapolis to Atlanta to Charlotte. I have about eight minutes to run through the Charlotte airport. Again, I'm a big dude with this little roll on. I'm running through the Charlotte airport like an idiot, right? Dragging my little bag, swinging it around, running over people's heels and ankles and stuff. It was awful. I get done, I'm sweaty, sitting the plane, flying to Pensacola, rent a car, drive three hours. We made it. The sound of the ocean, fish tacos, loving my kids from a distance. We were finally on vacation, right? Why do I tell you this story? Well, if you ever found yourself in a place, and I know you have, maybe you're there right now, where you said, I just really didn't think this would be that hard. Anybody with me on that one? So you, you look around, you're like, my circumstances, maybe it's your classes, maybe it's your family. Like, I really didn't think that my life would actually be this way. I didn't think it'd be this hard. I didn't think there would be this much tension, this much stress, 
this much pain, I really didn't think that it would actually be this hard, right? Here's why this matters, okay? If we're honest, so many of us have bought into a version of faith that as long as things in my life don't get in the way of my hopes and dreams, God and I, we're pretty good, right? As long as I'm good, this faith thing is cool with me. But what happens is, is we find ourselves in some harder situations when the pressure is on, right? When the circumstances, I know you're there right now. You're getting ready for, to end this quad. I'm telling you, there's tests right now. There's projects right now. How many of you just hate group projects, right? Some of you are the one who does all the work, right? Right? Do you have to do all the work? Some of you are the ones who are like the rest of the Lakers right now, right? Who like, you do nothing and you get credit for what the best guy does on the team, right? Raise your hand if that's you. Come on. I know you're out there. I know you're out there, right? Yeah, come on, man. You got it. Yeah, you got it, right? Group projects, right? Okay. So what happens is, is what, when, we face, when we bump up against circumstances that are difficult, are hard, are painful, are, are different than we thought they would be, what we do is we interpret those circumstances as maybe God isn't actually in this. Because if God was in this, surely things would magically align, right? Things would be easy and perfect and good all the time. So if things are different or hard or difficult, surely God must not be in this. Therefore, I'm going to hit the eject button. I'm going to leave. I'm going I'm to go find something easier, find something better. For honest, we bought into this lie that the gospel is God comes into our lives and makes things all good all the time. Can I tell you that is not remotely biblical? It's not remotely biblical. I'm here to tell you today that the things, the hard things in your life, the difficult stresses, the tensions, the pains, the brokenness in your life is not incompatible with faith in God. In fact, I believe those are the very things that God will use to do a work in you and through you that he could not and would not do if not for a season of difficulty, if not for a season of pain, if not for a season of suffering. Even as we enter into the season now on Wednesday, you're going to celebrate Ash Wednesday. I grew up Lutheran. It's awesome. Um, lean into that. I want to encourage you if you're like, that sounds weird to me. Hey, show up. Lean in. Experience that. Lent is an amazing, it's a 40-day season of saying we want to prepare ourselves for Easter Sunday. We want to lean into everything God has for us. We want to lean into the passion and the suffering of Christ. Lean into everything that comes with Jesus and his story on this earth. And as I want this morning with our last 13 minutes, man, time is going fast. I promise we'll be done in time. I want to lean into this story. I want to fast forward into the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? I think one of the most powerful places we see, one of the most powerful illustrations, stories in all of Scripture. I'm going to pick it up in Matthew 26. Look at it. It says this. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Okay? He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Think about that for a minute. The eternal God. God made flesh. God with skin on, right? The, the one who created all things. Colossians says that he is literally, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or rulers or dominions or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Right? It says he is above all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the one who is now in the gardens being sorrowful and troubled. I love this. Jesus, he was fully God, but he also was fully human. Fully human. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. Would you just stay here and keep watch with me? Just stay here and keep watch. And I love this, because Jesus... 
knew what was coming, right? He's telling, he's, he's giving his disciples a message. He's saying, look, I want you to see, keep watch, be sober-minded, stay awake. Hey, wake up and watch with me, because it's coming. My suffering, it's coming. My persecution, it's coming. He knew it. Watch with me. And we know the story, right? They fell asleep. Three times these dudes fell asleep. What in the world was their problem? Take a Red Bull or something, bro. Right? You fell asleep? And it's so easy for us to sit in the seat of judgment and say, I cannot believe they fell asleep. But man, don't we do the exact same thing constantly? We walk through this life, we're slumbering, we're snoozing, we're not looking, we're not watching and praying. When bad things come into our life, when difficult things come in, we say, God, surely this isn't you, I'm out. But look what the scriptures say to us, it's so clear. Look, 1 Peter 4, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trial, as if something strange was happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So there's something about the things that we go through, right, when we're watchful of them, when we see them coming, when we're sober and vigilant, we're watching and praying, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of different reactions we can have to hard things. Surprise is not one of them. As Christians, we're not called to surprise. We're called to judge our circumstances and see them as valuable because Jesus is with us in them. We're literally forming a partnership with Christ in our suffering with his suffering. And I'll be honest, most of us, we're not going to experience the same suffering that Christ did, right? right? We're not going to be brutally beaten, not going to be murdered for crimes we didn't commit. But if we're honest, every single day, there are stresses and tensions and pressures in life that seek to knock us down, to push us down, to oppress us, to squeeze us in. And we have to see these correctly. We have to see them correctly, right? We have to deal with this whole idea of God will never give you more than you can handle. It's just such a nice sentiment. It, it sounds great in a Hallmark card, doesn't it? Friends, it's not remotely biblical. It's just not. See, when I read the scriptures, when I look at my life, I tend to believe that God will continuously, right, continuously lead us into situations that are bigger than our ability to manage them. He will. Right? It's Paul himself saying, don't get it twisted. It got dark. Actually, it was far beyond our ability to handle, but he was with us. He was with us. That is why Jesus went to the cross. And I love that section where we see Jesus, right? Let's check on Jesus one more time, right? So you have to see it, look, through, look out to it, right? God is going to do something through it. But I love the humanity of Jesus in this moment. Matthew 26, 39. This prayer, I think, is the most powerful prayer in the entire Bible. This is crazy. Jesus, the eternal God. Right? The eternal God. Father, if it is at all possible, let this cup be taken from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. This is nuts. Okay? Like, think about the insanity of this prayer just for a minute. Jesus, again, God with skin on. He knew the purpose that he came for from the very beginning. And yet here he is in the very moment saying, hey, if there is any other way, let's do that one. Right? right? He was fully God, fully human. He knew what was coming, wasn't going to be fun, wasn't going to be easy, right? And he had every reason to say, God, if at all possible, I don't want to do this, but not my will, yours be done. And look what happened, right? The, sh the soldiers showed up to arrest Jesus. Judas betrays him with a kiss. They come in to arrest Jesus. Peter, my man Peter, I love this guy, 
whips out his sword, takes a wild hack, cuts off dude's ear. What a terrible, terrible soldier, right? <laughs> Just take a big swing at a guy and cut off his ear. So dude's ear is laying on the ground, gross, right, bleeding, right? And Jesus is like, hey, man, hey, hey, put your sword away. Don't you think that in a moment I could call upon my father and at once have 12 legions of angels right here to get me out of this? Jesus had the best, most powerful eject button in human history in that moment. But what did he do? Did he eject? No. He leaned in to the pain. He stepped into the difficulty. He leaned into the tension of the moment. And because of that, we as Christians, for the rest of mankind, human history, are reaping the benefits, the fruit of what he accomplished because he stepped in. I love this. And actually in John, when it talks about this, it says, David said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. The entire company of soldiers falls flat on the ground like a fainting goat, right? Flat on the ground. That's crazy. That is crazy, extraordinary, supernatural power. Jesus could have said, I'm out. This is too much. But he stepped in. He stepped in. You know, when I was in college, I actually ended up playing college basketball down in Minnesota State in Mankato. Had an amazing time. Grew up, had a lot of success. Not a surprise with my size, right? Um, along the way, I built my life, my foundation, my value on my ability to put a little orange ball in a red hoop. I built my life on it, right? And then something happened, right? I had a traumatic shoulder injury, ended up in intensive care, had a blood clot on my shoulder, had season-ending surgery. Everything I had built came crashing down around me, and in that moment, I was like, wait, 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 wait. This was not the deal, God. Like, up until now, it was all good. Like, I was starting, I was playing, I was playing college basketball, I was having the time of my life. We had a deal. This is hard. So I went into prayer mode. I'm like, God, heal me, restore me, take this away. And listen, I think we should pray for healing. I think God still heals today. Can I get an amen from somebody? I think God heals. I think he delivers. I think he restores. I think he is active in human history. Today, he does those things. But can I tell you what? I am so glad that God didn't heal me. I'm so glad that God didn't heal me because he knew something in that moment that I needed to know in that moment and that he wanted to accomplish something in me that was bigger and more important and better than how I was feeling in that moment. He wanted to use the pains and the pressures and the depression and the frustration and the broken dreams to say, God, Drew, I want to do something in your heart. Really, what he wants is I want you. I was giving my life away to so many things and so many people and really, ultimately, to anybody but him. And God was saying, hey, I'm trying to get your attention here, man. If you would just look up. If you would just look up. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, pleasure, easy to ignore. It is. Pain, it insists upon being attended to. He whispers in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pains. He shouts in our pains. So I'm here to tell you today, Northwestern, that God's will for your life is way less about where God is taking you. Okay, just so you know, there's not an emergency meeting happening in heaven right now on your account. God is not getting the Trinity together saying, oh no, how do we get Justin out of this mess? Like, I, I didn't see this coming at all, <laughs> right? Jesus, where are you? And he's like, I don't know, the Holy Spirit, that was his fault. I wasn't on me, I wasn't on duty, right? Like, there is no emergency meeting, right? God is not wringing his hands in worry about your situation. He knows what he is doing. See you guys. He knows what he is doing, okay? He knows. I'll see you in the, the cast later. Teriyaki today, right? Awesome. He knows what he is doing, okay? He knows what he is doing. 
He is with you. He sees you. He loves you. He's leaning in with you. And if you would just step in and lean in and say, God, I trust you. I don't like how this feels, right? I don't like what I'm seeing with my eyes right now. This wasn't the deal that we have, but I trust you. And really what it boils down to is this question is, do you trust this? That there is nothing, Northwestern, listen, look right at me. There is nothing that can come into your life, no pain, no suffering, no brokenness, nothing that could come into your life for the rest of your life that has the ability or the authority to remove God's loving presence from your life. There is nothing. That's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus saw you in your brokenness. He saw you in your sickness. He saw you in your sin. Right? He, he knows all of it anyway. He still chose to come. Right? That's what Easter is. It's celebrating the fact that God saw me. He sees it all. All the dark places, all the gross places, all the brokenness, all the sin, all the thoughts that nobody else knows about. He chose to come anyway. Your secret's already out. It's already out. He came. He died. And better yet, he rose. Again, there is nothing that can come into your life that has the ability or the authority to remove his love from your life. He is not in love with the future version of you. With a more figured out, more mature, more steady, less anxious, less depressed, right? More morally sound, more morally upright. He's not in love with a married version of you, with a parent version. He's not in love with the future you, right? How many have an iPhone in this place? We have an Android? I'll pray for you later, okay? I want my bubbles to be blue on my phone when I'm texting, man. Get rid of that green stuff, right? Like... Hey, but I've had my iPhone for about two years. I'm already tired of it. I want that XF, baby, right? Like, I want that new iPhone. We we, we are obsessed with new and more and change and gain and excellence. That's a good thing, but I'm telling you, God is not obsessed with the future you. He is into this whole thing. He chose to die for the you that is sitting in this seat right now. He is not in love with your future version of you. There is nothing that can come into your life, no suffering, no pain, that he cannot use for your good and for his glory. He wants to show a watching world how we navigate suffering, right? I walk through, I don't pretend it doesn't hurt, right? I don't say, I'm blessed. No, you're a liar, (laughs) because life is hard and it's brutal. But God is with you. That's the gospel. That's what we celebrate through Lent, right? Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, bleeding and dying on a tree, right? He he removes our guilt, but he does not remove our humanity. We still experience this life with emotions and our physical bodies, and it's hard and difficult. But man, our guilt is gone. We are clean. We are stain free, and he is with us. So if you hear nothing else I say this morning, you hear me say this, God is with you. Whatever you're going through right now, resist the urge to hit that eject button. Lean in, step in, because God is with you, and he is doing something in you this season. Lent is a particularly beautiful season to reflect, hey, God, be with me, show yourself to me, speak to me, read the scriptures, meditate, memorize, pray. God, be with me in this season as I navigate life. Thank you that you're with me. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're with us in this moment, that you're here and that you're good. So we trust in this moment that you're with us, that you're for us, that nothing we could experience in and of this life could ever remove the great love for which you have loved us with. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Have an awesome day, Northwestern. Love you guys.